Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We have a packed show with lots of guests as usual and your Friday regular sport, comedy and more besides. Now let's get straight to business this afternoon. Did you know, folks, that Ireland falls just behind Holland when it comes to countries that are most obsessed with cosmetic treatments such as Botox, dermal fillers and facelifts. Well, we're going to talk about it for the next while with Sisu Clinic's co-founder and global medical director, Dr. Brian Carter. Brian, welcome to Late Lunch. Thanks very much for having me on. Not at all. Well, is it that we're not good lookers or we just want to be the best lookers in Europe, Brian? I, I think it's an interesting study that came out. It's not something that was massively surprising for us. I mean, globally, we've we've 24 clinics. About 15 of our clinics are, are in Ireland. So, you know, over the last number of years, we've really seen a, a huge increase in, in people wanting to consume treatments like, you know, Botox and fillers and skin boosters. I think in part with it, people are now moving into this space because they understand it a little bit more. I think you've clinic groups like us that, that people can go and have safe treatments or on the high street. I think there's an element as well as there was a, a kind of paradigm shift in terms of how people were not only doing these treatments, but, but viewing themselves. And I think ultimately in Ireland, you know, a lot of the patients that walk into our clinics, they don't want to look radically different, but they might have something that bothers them or often now we're seeing that people are very much doing this on a preventative base. So the space has gone from kind of anti-aging now to probably more into a wellness space. And as well as that, it has to be said that you are a doctor-led cosmetic medicine destination, which is very important too. Tell me this, is it a women-led thing now or women-dominated or are the boys like ourselves coming more into the picture? Uh, I, I would say it's it's still probably a, a more female-orientated space, but we are seeing a, an increase in, in male patients. Like if you look, for example, we have clinics in New York and Miami and Houston in the States, and about 22% of our patients there are male. In Ireland, we're now in and around 12%. So we're, guys are, are typically, we're probably a little bit slower to adopt. But what we do find is that now over the last number of years, we've a lot of male patients coming in for things like Botox treatments, not because they, again, want to look radically different, but because, you know, they start looking a little more tired. We have guys coming in for jawline treatments, for under-eye filler treatments. And again, what we found is probably post-COVID, where everybody was working at home and was on, or they were on screens all the time, that a lot of our male patients are now coming in because they had spent, you know, eight or nine hours a day looking back at their face and they were kind of curious about, well, was there something that they could, that they could do or a treatment that they could have that would make them look less tired? 
Interesting. Very interesting. Let's talk about the women or females to start off. What treatments are trending for women right now? Um, obviously, things like anti-wrinkle treatments, they've always been the kind of steadfast treatments. And again, that's just relaxing lines and wrinkles. One of the things we've seen a huge uptake in are treatments like Profilo. These are what we call tissue modulators or skin boosters. They basically increase the elastin and collagen production in your skin. They're not kind of mechanical treatments like fillers, so they're not very volumizing. They just make your skin tone look and, and feel better. And then another treatment which we've seen a big increase in, and I mean, we've been doing it for, for a long time, is what we call Traptox. Um, and this is basically Botox injections into the trapezius muscle where people can get a lot of shoulder tension. And we have a lot of females maybe who work out quite a lot who find that this muscle group just starts to overload and they get a lot of tension in that area. So they're probably the three main treatments that we find we we are consistently seeing growth. What's Barbie Botox, please? That is Traptox. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the name, to be honest. Uh, trapezius Botox or, or Trap Botox is, is an injectable treatment where we relax the trapezius muscle. It does two main functions. One is that it reduces down tension in the muscle. It can often become quite overloaded in people. And what happens then over about six to eight weeks post-treatment is that muscle gets a little bit smaller. So you get a kind of elongation of the of the neckline. Um, we use it a lot in things like the pre-em protocol for migraines, where you know you inject into the into the head and the back of the neck and into the trapezius. So that is a treatment that that globally kind of I suppose blew up from things like TikTok and, and Instagram. But it's something we've been doing for for quite a long time independently of that. Talk to me about the age profile for a moment. What age would women typically come to you? What do you advise? Is there an age, a lower age, upper age? Yeah, I mean, my brother and myself are in this space well over a decade now. And even, you know, since we began, we've seen a, a change in the demographic and the age. Typically, probably 10 years ago, it was primarily women, probably their late 40s, early 50s. We've seen over the last number of years, it's it's decreased. Probably now what we're seeing is the age profile is, is probably late 20s, like 28, 29, 30, and they're more in the preventative category. So for things like Botox, they're beginning to see lines and wrinkles and they don't really want to get them. Minimum age for things like us, we obviously don't treat people below the age of 18. Anybody that comes in that's a little bit of a younger profile, um, again, we tend to kind of sit down, run through a full consultation. Younger patients, we always say, look, we say to everybody, nobody needs this stuff. You know, if you're having chest pain, you need to go to the hospital. If you want bigger lips or a sharper jawline, it's a totally non-essential treatment. We kind of find that probably the split around things like a lip augmentation, it's probably a slightly younger patients, maybe, you know, early 20s, mid 20s. Again, what we find around the space, and it's kind of a, a separate piece, is that a lot of the times when patients are coming in, it's very important they understand that these are medical procedures. Because you can get dermal filler treatments, unfortunately, in Ireland by people who are not medically trained and not medical professionals. Oh, yeah, and that is so important. And to say again that Sisu is doctor-led, and that is a very important point to bear in mind. Do you need topping up? Like, if you have Botox, must you come back to it and maintain it? Yeah, Botox as a, as a treatment will last around three months. 
Um, so, you know, I suppose like anything, once you have regularity, whether it's like going to the gym, often we'll say to people, you know, the best results with a Botox treatment is probably keep maybe the first three or four cycles relatively tight. The muscle kind of gets used to the fact that it has Botox and it tends to soften out a little bit more and then you start over time to get a little bit longer out of the treatment. If somebody gets Botox once and they never get it again, it's kind of like you've given your wrinkles and lines a three-month holiday. So, But a lot of people, when they come in, they like the aesthetic, they like the effect, they look less tired, they feel less tired in a lot of instances. Um, so it is a treatment that a lot of people will get with consistency. Can you overdo it? I mean, like anything with it, you'll find with treatments like this, a big part of us as a as a medical group and, you know, led by doctors and all the treatments are carried out by medical professionals, is that we'll be the guardian and guide to people. So, for example, if somebody comes in and they want to do a treatment that we find aesthetically is not going to be appropriate, we won't treat them. Again, I think it kind of goes back into the space, particularly around fillers, and unfortunately, dermal fillers are classified as medical devices. So that means that you in your capacity as a radio show host could go and open a dermal filler clinic. It's insane, to be honest. I think what you'll find is a lot of that overdone aesthetic. If you really dug down into it, they are not medical providers that are going for that extremist look. I think most of the medical providers within Ireland and even colleagues of ours in different groups they like what we call a neoclassical look, which means that you're going to have a slight tweakment, but you're not going to have this radical change in facial structure. I'm delighted to hear you say that because is there anything worse than to see those lips that have been destroyed? Yeah, I mean, I always say to people like the best injectable is non-detectable. You shouldn't be able to see it. It should be, you know, you look at somebody and think, wow, you know, they look fantastic. They look great. But that it's not so obvious that you know something's been done. And again, I think, you know, what we see across the US and even our clinics in London, thankfully, there probably is a social change and that people don't want that aesthetic now. And for everybody that comes into the clinic, you know, that we treat, the majority of them, practically all of them, will say, look, I don't want anybody to know I've anything done. I want this to be nice and subtle. Oh, that's really uh, heartening to hear. I say good luck to anybody who has it done. And anything like this that's done professionally, well, carefully, under the supervision of a clinic like yours, can only be good. It lifts us, doesn't it? It's great for the self-esteem. Yeah, I I think, you know, people now want to do things, you know, the whole societal piece has changed in a way that if people want to do something that makes them feel good, makes them feel happy about themselves, these are small treatments that often can have quite a quite a deep impact on people and again it's a confidence piece we'll have people that come in and sometimes you know particularly around things like where you're revolumizing facial structure they'll feel that over the last number of years they kind of just lost lost what they felt previously and we kind of reconnect them with that Listen, it's great to chat to you today. Wonderful advice there. And I say to listeners today, check them out. Sisu Clinic, that's S-I-S-U Clinic. And all the information is there and more than we've spoken about today. But for the moment, I want to say a big thank you to their global medical director, Dr. Brian Cotter. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me on.
We always love to hear from our Sinead Burke and today Sinead reflects on her growing up as a young woman in the context of abuse allegations that have been levelled against a star recently. Here's Sinead. The recent allegations about Russell Brand, whether they be proved or not, has caused me to reassess the way things were when he first became famous. And no matter if he is found guilty or innocent, there is one thing I know is true. The 90s were rough for young women. This was the decade I moved from primary to secondary and through college, a passage of a young person's life, which is full of exploration, accomplishment and excitement, but also self-doubt, isolation and insecurity. I mean, it's a busy time and a vulnerable time. Your new fashionable adult clothes might fit, but most of us were struggling to catch up on the inside with our brand new grown up image. Navigating these stages as a young woman was particularly hard because this past was indeed a foreign country. It was a place when women in the media were as scant as the outfits most of them were made wear. Louise from Eternal might have had a fantastic voice, but she also had to be prepared to wear a bikini on the cover of Nuts magazine to promote her new single. Gail Porter's naked image was projected onto the side of Westminster buildings without her permission. Pamela Anderson's body was deemed by a court judge to be public property. A very young Britney Spears was dressed up like a schoolgirl in a porn film. And then there was Monica Lewinsky. There's more than one person owes her an apology. The list goes on of women in this decade who were stripped of their dignity, clothes and agency. We were sold all this in the name of equality. It was marketed as girl power. In fact, why even be a girl when you could be a ladette? The narrative of the 90s was to be a modern woman, all you had to do was drink pints all night, be sexually available and wear very little because that was freedom. Except it wasn't. It was a cod and probably coercive control. The 1990s was all about being a young woman on men's terms. So of course it was the perfect time and place for sexual predators to run about consequence-free. They were completely protected by a world that was making a lot of money, projecting toxic standards on women. Being as young and naive and insecure as we were, most of us went along with it and gratefully bought into this new version of modern equity. Looking back now, We were about as equal as the bunny girls in Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion. We just wore hipster jeans instead of bunny ears. Most of the young girls in the 90s who had to endure this particular misogyny, dressed up as female empowerment, now have daughters of their own. I can only look on in awe and respect at how my young one and her friends navigate their way into the adult world. They don't demand respect. They expect it. They don't want to be treated as equals by their male peers. They already know they are. Yes, they are addicted to the TikTok and a lot of them, even in rural Meath, have bewildering American accents. But they know what sexism is and they're not afraid to call it out. That's real girl power. Our Sinead, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Sinead Burke. On the money as usual. We're heading towards top of the hour at two after this. What am I supposed to do without you? 
It is Road Safety Week in Ireland and by God is focus on safety needed at this time when we learn day on day of the fatalities on our roads. We're going to talk about something for the next while that I really like because you see MCL Insurance have revealed its use of telematics or black box intelligence has dramatically reduced driving risk factors among young motorists across its It's For Women, Get Set Go and Boxy Mo brands. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined on Late Lunch this afternoon by the MD of MCL Insurance, Gary McClarty. Hello, Gary. Hello, Jerry. Thank you for joining me on the show today. As I mentioned there, anything that helps with the carnage that's going on on our roads at the moment is to be welcomed. Will you tell our listeners what telematics or black box intelligence is all about? Well, Jerry, what we do is that when after someone has purchased a policy with, with one of the brands there that you've mentioned, uh, we will uh, get a small black box professionally fitted to our customer's vehicle. That, that black box then will capture information on acceleration, braking, cornering and the lateral movement of a vehicle. As well as that, we have all of the speed limits and roads mapped in Ireland. So we also know the speed limits on the roads, what sort of road you're driving on and what time of the day you'll be driving as well and day of the week. We use all of that information then to build an algorithm and that algorithm then is based on what we believe with all of the information that we have received, uh, basically then what is a customer's chance of maybe having an accident. And the higher the score uh, that that customer has, then we believe less chance of them being involved in an accident. So it analyzes what I do in my car every time I get in and drive. You get the information back and you can look at that. And it influences how much I'm charged for my policy? Well, what happens is as soon as somebody signs up for the policy to encourage them to take it, there's there's about a 30% reduction in premium. And then once we capture all of the information and you're driving with a good score, well, then we would expect your renewal premium then to be substantially cheaper the following year. It's, you know, it's using using factors other than the traditional static factors that insurance would have used, such as someone's age, occupation, what sort of car they're driving. So we're now going beyond that and using this data to enable us to tailor make a price for a customer based on actually how they drive. So the safer they drive, obviously, the lower the premium. I really like this because it makes me as well focus on my driving and be conscious of the way I'm driving. And you're seeing the positive results when it comes to road safety. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, We started this in 2013 and that was when we first launched our telematics policy. And for the first couple of years, it was all about capturing data and being able to, to monitor that and find out where the accidents were happening and what sort of people were having accidents. So now today we have about 600 million kilometers of information on Irish roads so we'd we'd probably have more information I would expect than anybody else there uh, in the market so yes it it is very predictive we have seen a huge reduction in in accidents by at least 27 percent and and bodily injury where people get injured where where people uh, get injured that's dropped by by 48 percent those are huge numbers may I say now come back to the little black box must I opt for that? The incentive is if I opt for it, I get a discount immediately. Are you finding that is bringing more and more customers to your way of thinking and taking on board this little black box? Well, we do hope so. Uh, we, you know, we, we have had a good uptake, in the, especially in the younger driver sector, where this is really uh, targeted at because 
mean, as you alluded to earlier there, that, that, that is where there's an awful lot of accidents and we have sadly seen an awful lot of fatalities on the roads over the last couple of months. So yeah, it is, it is targeted there. We are seeing a good uptake. It, it is a great product. I mean, I'm a parent and my young kids have, have started driving and it's, it's, it's a good thing for parents because they can see how their, uh, their, their children are driving because it is when they start driving, it's, it's obviously a, a worry. So this is an extra thing where you can see the feedback on how someone is driving. Your trailblazers at MCL Insurance with this, this is something, may I say, I think this should be compulsory. Everybody should have this little box in their car, Gary. Well, I, I believe so. I, I think that anybody who passes their test for the first number of years uh, driving, this should, should be something that is compulsory because uh, it, it, it definitely it helps reduce accidents. Okay, it's maybe not the, the magic bullet to stop uh, no accidents and that there are safety features in cars, especially new cars, but it will definitely be something which, which helps. It's a win-win situation. The customer gets a, a lower premium and by the fitment of the box, we can hopefully encourage people to drive safer and avoid those horrible accidents. Anything that contributes, Gary, may I say, is a positive move. I'm sure you know there's a name to try and eliminate road debt entirely, which we, we hope we will will see someday. Do you have a breakdown in terms of female versus male drivers? Or is that a little, a little stretch to expect you have that information? Yes, we do have all of that information. Uh, we have... Me- well, that that would answer the uh, the the, the uh, our males and females who's the best driver. Yes. But I think with with what we do, it, we don't like to look at those factors so much anymore because you you'd have looked at those, looked at where people live. We're more interested in just how people drive based on the the, the driving data that we receive. Uh, I think we're more interested in that. I think the the, the older Static factors are, are they're, they're old fashioned, I suppose, and this is a better way to rate drivers. Yes, I understand that. I suppose I was more getting at young men are pointed at all the time mm. as being the ones who are the greatest danger on our roads. But yes, we often have that debate between men and women who are the more careful drivers. But look, I agree mm. with you. It's the overall information that's the key factor here. So, anybody taking yeah. out a policy with one of your companies? They are with the It's for Women or Get Set Go brand. Depending on what age profile you fall into, we would offer the telematics policy on, on those two brands. So at this minute in time, it is targeted at definitely the younger cohort of drivers. But we are looking at bringing in a new cheaper version where it'll be a, a, a dongle type uh, product fitted to the 12 volt uh, button within your vehicle. And hopefully we can bring the price point down with that new product. Good on you. I really like this uh, and it makes for interesting uh, listening today and it's something that is contributing and can contribute more to safety on all our roads. Gary McClarty, MD of MCL Insurance, thank you so much for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you, Jerry. Yes, really interesting, isn't it? It is indeed and I think it is something, as I said a few moments ago there, that should be part and parcel of all our driving, that there's an analysis on what we're like, what we do on the roads. It'll be to everyone's benefit in the long run. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Friday afternoon. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio, and we're back in the garden. Well, I'm not quite in the garden with her this time. I've decided to have a chat from a distance to the Knoll. Yes, she is the Queen of Green, the most brilliant organic gardener in this country. Nikki Kyle, good to talk to you again. Hi, Jerry. 
Welcome back to the show. Now, you want to start today and save listeners money. You want to talk about saving runner bean roots. What is this? Well, it's, you know, runner beans are a perennial plant exactly like a dahlia tuber. You know, they make a tuber which you can save from year to year. And you can save yourself a massive amount of money by saving these roots. As long as you lift them now before they get frosted uh, and go mushy, exactly, treat them exactly like you would a dahlia. Just very carefully lift the roots, trying not to break them too much. Um, obviously cut off the stems uh, and then store them, dry them off if they've got very wet in, in, in the wet weather uh, and dry them off um, and then uh, put, store them in some old dry potting compost or something like that. And you can pretty much forget about them until um, the spring. And in, if you sort of pot them up again in spring, either pot them into pots or put them out in the garden and water them, as soon as the, 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 the roots have shoots on, you'll see the little green shoots coming up. If the, the roots are big enough, you can actually slice them in half, again, just like dahlia tubers. When they get big after three or four years, you have to saw them in half. They're incredibly <laughs> you know, tough to, to saw up. But it saves a lot of money. And you know, at the end of the year, I mean, I grow them in the polytomely, as you know, uh, it's a variety that's self-pollinating called Moonlight, which is an excellent variety. Um, and you can actually save the seeds from those plants. So let the last ones fully develop. You can either cook those and use them just as you would uh, dried beans or use them fresh um, or, or save them for, for sowing more next year. But you don't, you know, you'll save yourself a lot of money by saving those roots. Terrific advice there. So from year to year, like the dahlias, you can propagate yep. your runner beans. Now, the tomatoes in my greenhouse are looking a little sad at the moment. Do I leave them or should I harvest everything at this stage? At this stage, Jerry, I think that they're not going to do much more. Um, I would actually cut the entire trusses with secateurs and put them in a cardboard box or something and put them in a room, um, you know, not, not too warm. But they'll ripen gradually over the winter. They won't taste the same, obviously, uh, as the fresh ones. But they'll, they'll still be probably better than anything you'll buy. Uh, and you won't have to buy them. <laughs> you know, so it's well worth doing. Just put them in, in a single layer in, in a cardboard box or something in, in a, in a warmish room, you know. And as long as they will... don't get frost. And they'll be absolutely fine. And just take the plants out then, um, you know, and, and get rid of them. Um, because they're just, they'll be hanging on to sort of mold and disease and everything else now. You, you know, you ne- really need to, to get the, the greenhouse cleaned up at, at this time of year. So time to tidy the toms for sure. Now, pumpkin season is upon us and there are places you can go and pick these pumpkins if you haven't grown them for yourself. How do you store your pumpkins? Well, I wait until they've really ripened well. Now, pumpkins, um, you know, need to be, they need to have, the stem needs to be what you call corky. It looks like cork. It doesn't look green anymore. It looks very corky. And then if you, they're on the, the, the pumpkin vines still, cut them with uh, either side of the stem where they've grown off the actual uh, fruiting stem. Um, so you've got a little T at the top of the pumpkin. Um, you know, it's, it's corky stem and then a little piece either side which makes a sort of T shape uh, and let them dry off, get them dried off put them in the sun somewhere really dry if you can put them inside in a tunnel or greenhouse in the sun even better uh, and they will actually store for months I've still got one I've left from last year a crown prince pumpkin which is still stored uh, I mean I can't believe it's over a year old now um, just to leave it to, for, you know, to see how long it will last 
So from harvesting, storage and preservation, let's talk uh, a little positively now about sowing still. Still time to put in some quick maturing salad crops. Oh, yeah. And salads are really important because it's one thing you definitely won't get, um, you know, in the shops. You can't get decent um, uh, salads anywhere. Um, You'll only get sort of spinach and stuff like that. And you can save an awful lot of money by growing your own um, salad leaves. There's lots of oriental leaves. There's a good list um, of stuff you can still sow uh, on my website in the What to Sow um, on the What to Sow page, which is up and running again now. Um, all, all sorts of oriental leaves, um, lollarossa lettuce, that sort of thing, loose leaves that you can pick as soon as they're big enough. They're the most valuable, really, because they'll just go on producing. Obviously not as fast at this time of year, but as long as you protect them from, from the wind and the cold by being in a greenhouse or polytunnel or a cold frame, um, you know, they'll, they'll go on cropping slowly. And even if you only have one meal a week from something you've grown, it's something you haven't had to buy, as I always say, you know. Um, you can start planting garlic now, too, the earlier you plant. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The bigger the bulbs will eventually be. Yes, I, um, I've actually picked up some thermodrome, is it? Uh, the oh, thermodrome, yeah. Um, the Fruit Hill Farm have some great varieties, actually. I'm growing four this year because I thought well, I'm getting boring. I always grow Morado. So I'm trying Cerrador, Prebor and Mesidor, which all seem varieties that, that will suit me uh, for, for one reason or another. Either they're early or they store very well or, you know, and they're all organic. Um, so hopefully they won't bring in any diseases. Um, and actually, if you don't have a garden, you can grow garlic very well in a tub. It loves being in a tub because it's nice and warm and well-drained. So get sowing the garlic bulbs now. And as you say, it's the fat cloves from the bulbs yes. that you put in, not the little thin ones. Well, the, the fat cloves from the outside, I mean, they'll all grow, obviously, but the fat, big fat cloves from the outside, the biggest cloves will make the biggest bulbs next year but you can still plant the, all the little small ones you can plant them all together in, in a big tub or a pot and actually you can harvest the, the tops which are just as beneficial um, for your health 
um, you know, and the green tops. And, and they're lovely in cooking too. Now, what about onion sets? I see uh, Fruit Hill Farm advertising uh, organic onion sets. Would you put those in at this time of the year as well? Well, you, yes, I think they're autumn ones, aren't they? I, I yeah. don't. Um, I only use red onions. I don't use white onions. But if you want to grow white onions from sets, you can put those in now. Um, they're less likely to bring in disease than conventionally chemically grown ones. But I would still be inclined to sort of plant them in tubs. So you can have some really early onions. I mean, you can plant those quite close together, you know, just a couple of inches apart, uh, and you'll have really early onions next year. And is that indoors in your tunnel or greenhouse? It's too wet, I take it, over the winter to plant them outside here. I think it's too wet. Our winters are getting wetter. And that tends to encourage disease, you know, the wet weather. You know, I would prefer to either put them into tubs or put them in the greenhouse or polytunnel. But if you grow them in tubs, you can move them outside in the spring. That's the thing. I mean, I, I love growing stuff in tubs now because you can move them around and when you need the space, you can put something else there. Anyway, we'll yeah. finish today just talking about something of interest to anyone with tunnels or greenhouses. It's difficult at this time of the year, autumn into winter, with the ventilation. What's your suggestion there? Well, you've just got to keep opening and shutting them, I'm afraid. <laughs> you know, you can't leave them shut all the time because uh, you know, if you get a sunny day, um, then it's like a sauna in there. It's incredible how warm it can be, even in October, if the doors are closed. Uh, but you have to be careful, for, you know, in case the wind suddenly gets up and, and the tunnel takes off, you know. I mean, in Storm, um, what's her name, Agnes, was it? Yes. Um, uh, uh, a few days ago, um, my cloches took off from the raised beds at the front of the house there, and they nearly ended up in the knoll. I think I was <laughs> expecting you to say they were in your garden, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. You've got to mind them right through the winter. You yeah, can't just you shut have. up I mean, shop and go away. Don't leave them open at night. Open for a couple of hours during the day if you can, both ends, as long as it's not too windy. Let a bit of air sort of blow through. Uh, but do keep on clearing up any messy bits um, you know, diseased uh, leaves or old leaves that are dying because they're not doing anything for the plants. They're just going to stay there and cause disease. Nikki Kyle, gardening.com. She's up and running again online. All the information is there. She's a mine of information. We love her on late lunch and we'll be back to her. It's not over in the garden by any means. It's 365 days of the year. We'll be talking to her before the end of the year again. But for the moment, Nikki Kyle, thank you so much. Not at all, Jerry. You're welcome. If you're not the one then why does my soul feel glad today? If you're not the one, then why does my hand fit yours? Knock, knock. Who's there? That's how it works. It's called comedy. Comedy. Comedy, comedy. Comedy, sir. Comedy. Classic comedy. Classic comedy. On the late lunch. I love comedy. Yes, today it's the wonderful Mr. Phil Jupitus with your comedy. And here, Phil is really, really worried because his daughter is planning a first ever sleepover with her boyfriend. The other day, my uh, wife and I had a meeting that I did not know was a meeting. I got in and there was tea and there was biscuits. And I thought, brilliant. And I sat down and I'm drinking, oh, Viscounts, I love them. Oh, didn't even take the foil off. Oh, these are fun. Oh, my. Love a Viscount. And she goes, uh, yeah, we've got, we've got to have a, a chat about Emily. I'm like, yeah, all right, all right yeah, what, what, what's going on? She goes, yeah, she's, uh, she's having a sleepover on Friday. <laughs> I should, should have pointed out earlier that this is just after my daughter turned 16. That's a very important number to bear in mind. 
She said, yeah, Emily's having a sleepover on Friday. I went, all right, do you want me to buy pizzas? No, 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 no. Because there's only one person coming. Oh, right. Right, shall I just buy one pizza? Stop talking about pizza. <laughs> um, she's having a sleepover and it's Stephen. What, the boyfriend? Yeah. Oh, oh where's he going to sleep? In Emily's room. <laughs> Where is she going to sleep? <laughs> She's going to sleep in her room as well. What? On the floor? <laughs> Tubbs, come here. <laughs> Listen to me very carefully. You're 16, remember that number. 16-year-old daughter is having a boy stay the night. No! I run out into the front garden. Ah! <laughs> My wife's standing there going, I think you're overreacting. Why? <laughs> She's like, look, Remember when we were kids and we used to hang out with each other and we wished that our parents had been cool enough to just let us do our own thing in our own way? Well, it's your turn to be the cool parent. I don't want to be a cool parent! <laughs> and so that Friday, that was it. Stephen arrives. Ding dong! <laughs> He's a lovely kid. I've known Stephen since he was eight. Wonderful little boy. Not anymore. <laughs> now he is my nemesis. <laughs> he comes in and I'm sat in the kitchen. Oh, I feel... <laughs> All right! Hello, Stephen! Am I? All right, I'll see you later. And they have an evening like every other they've ever had. They play games, they lark about, watch telly. And I'm sitting there in my own house. Don't like it. I 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 don't like it. Because like I don't want to be complicit in it. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to have agreed to it. I don't want to be in the room when they go, all right, we're going to bed now, good night. I can't be in the room when that happens. So I go to bed earlier than normal. 20 past six, the sun is still out. Ice cream vans going up and down the street. Children playing football in the fields. The dog at the bottom of the bed leading his mouth as I lay bolt upright on top of the duvet in my pyjamas. Not now, Chester. Daddy's sad. And at about half eleven, I hear them come up the stairs. <laughs> Ten minutes, and then complete and utter silence. The wonderful Phil Jupiter's Every Dad's Nightmare. Brilliant indeed. Up next on Late Lunch, and a little earlier than usual, it's David Sheehan with Sport. 
Friday afternoon, late lunch, as is our want each Friday. We look ahead to the weekend sporting action and it's a packed weekend ahead. So we've had to be a little selective and I'm delighted the man to select the selective is David Sheehan, presenter of Sunday Sport. Thanks for joining us, David. No problem, Jerry. Uh, Let's begin with uh, soccer this evening and the League of Ireland Premier Division. The game at Talca Park this evening, Shelburne against Dundalk, it has big significance with regard to European football. Huge significance, yeah. And I mean, you know, Dundalk had that win against Strada last Friday night at Oriel Park and myself and John Flanagan were on that game and John said that Dundalk really need to win every game between then and the end of the season. They've done two in a row now with the win against Cork and the win against Strada last Friday. Um, they've Shelburne uh, tonight, and but they've only got one home game left this season. After that, they've got Bohemians at home, but the other games they have left are away, including this one this evening. And, you know, the opportunity there for Shelburne, first of all, to, to go into fourth place on their own, because Bohemians currently sit fourth. They're two points ahead of Shells, but they're, of course, preoccupied with the FAI Cup semi-final this weekend. So Shells have an opportunity to go into outright fourth place. Dundalk, though, if they were to win, would go level on points with Bohemians. So... It's a really, really massive game. And, you know, Dundalk's form has been a little bit up and down this season, but they're still in the mix. It's just been such a topsy-turvy season across the board. You look at the points total the Shamrock Rovers have at the minute, it's way short of what they had this time last year, for example, at the top of the table. So it's a really interesting game tonight. Dundalk were, were okay last week against Strahada. They were, they played in bits and parts, but they got the win and they were they were good value for it, in fairness. So they'll be up the road to Tolka in, in good enough mood, I think, confidence-wise. But... They really do need to get the win. I don't think a draw is really much good to them. Um, it's going to be a, a tough one for them as well. And I think Shelburne, I'd probably just give a, a slight nod to Shells. I think they're, you know, they've they've drawn and lost their last two matches. They had been on a, on a winning run before that. But I would imagine that they'll be well up for this one. And um, I think they'll just get the, get the win. It's going to be a tight one. But I think they will just about do it. And uh, as I say, go into fourth place. You know, fourth will will more than likely get Europe because with Pats and Bows in the in the cup semi-finals, you'd expect one of them to win it on the on the balance of probability anyway. Galway and Cork will be the outsiders slightly there on, on that front. So fourth place will probably still be enough to get into Europe, but um I think Shelburne will, will, will win tonight rather, and that'll be that'll make things difficult for the dock. But it's it's gonna be a tight one, I would say. These games always are now, Drogheda, you mentioned last week in Oriel Park, losing three games in seven days. Well, it uh, took its toll on them for sure. Uh, they're at home to Derry City, who are chasing European football themselves and maybe have an outside uh, sniff of the uh, league title, even though that's remote. Um, Drogheda, a free hit for Drogheda, but on the other hand, they're safe and the season's over. Yeah, but I mean, we, we had this last year with them uh, where they were safe with... I think they got a result against Bohemians. They beat Bohemians at Daily Mount with about four games left, and that made them mathematically safe. Uh, and I think Kevin was a little bit disappointed, Kevin Doherty, with the way they ended the season, that they kind of they, they fizzled out a little bit. They won their last game at home last year against Finn Harps, who were already kind of done for at that stage. But I think, you know, Kevin Doherty will be looking for a, a stronger finish from Drogheda this year than they than they had last year. Um, they obviously beat Derry up at the Brandywell earlier this season. But Derry, as you said, they're five points behind Shamrock Rovers. They have to win realistically, and it's probably a, even though it's only five points, and there's still you know what have we got four games to go, um, or three I should say. We've we've kind of yeah, it's kind of looking like a bit of a tall order for Derry to close that gap uh, on on Shamrock Rovers, uh, but they do need to get the win. And Drogheda, they were you know they were decent enough in parts last week against Dundalk, but they lost uh, Connor Keeley to an injury before the game, massive blow for them. They lost Ryan Brennan to a shoulder injury early in the game, and I think. 
he's going to be a huge miss for them. I was chatting to, to Ryan after the game and he thought he was probably going to be out for the rest of the season. But it's going to be a, a tough one for Drada. And you'd imagine that motivation that Derry have to, to try and somehow reel in Shamrock Rovers at this stage uh, will just about see them over the line. I think Drada might just feel it in the legs a little bit as we get towards the closing stages of the season. So I think you'd probably have to back Derry to get the points on that one. Let's stay with soccer for a moment longer. Premier League, there's one standout game this weekend. Sunday, Arsenal at home to Manchester City, the teams that finished champions and runners-up last year. Arsenal still unbeaten in the league. City beaten, surprisingly, by Wolves uh, last week, having lost to Newcastle in the League Cup as well. But winning in Europe uh, the other night, Arsenal losing in Europe. Yeah, and Arsenal, you know, missing... Kai Osaka as well, it looks like, for this one. And they've they've had a few injury knocks of late as well. So he's going to be a big miss for them if he, if he doesn't play. And from what I'm reading, it doesn't seem like he will be involved. Uh, he went off injured the other night, of course. So, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a tricky one. And, and like, I guess, you know, everyone's kind of um, everyone's really looking forward to this one because it's it's a bit it's the first kind of meeting between these two sides of the season. And they were so they ran they ran City so close last year, Arsenal, but ultimately came up a bit short. As you said there, you know, they did mixed results during the week. Arsenal were fairly poor, I thought, against Lance. They didn't really do themselves justice in that one. Um, but, you know, they have the, the home advantage in this one and the, the, the home crowd will obviously be behind them. If they were to win it, they would overtake City and, you know, presumably go top, depending on what happens with Tottenham, I suppose, this, this weekend. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's going to be a tough one for them, Jerry. I don't think Arsenal have been in great form this season. They've changed things around a little bit in terms of the team with trying to accommodate Declan Rice and it hasn't really worked out. I think they've kind of gotten back to what they were doing last season a little bit more in terms of the lineup recently. Keeper has changed as well. Um, so, yeah, it's going to it's gonna just depend on on what sort of Arsenal turn up in terms of whether they're they're after, able to shake off that European result during the week. Uh, but you'd have to kind of fancy City again. They're just, they're just so strong. They've Rico Lewis there coming in who's been, I think uh, Pep said he was the best player he's coached, which is an incredible thing to say for somebody so young and all the experience Pep Guardiola has. Um, so, yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to just have to give City a, a nod for that one to get the points. I think they're, they'd be the favourites going into it. And with Saka looking like he's going to be missing, that's a huge blow for Arsenal. I think City will, will sneak that. I couldn't disagree with you uh, on that one, David. Let's move to rugby briefly. The World Cup moves on for Ireland. They play Scotland. It's the key game in the group. Most people assume we're going to win this and then go on and beat the All Blacks, but you can't count on anything. Oh, I wouldn't be backing us on us going on to beat the All Blacks, that's for sure. But yeah, you just don't know. And I mean, it's um, it's really interesting because I, I think we all have this kind of fear, if you wanted to put it that way, in the back of our minds about Scotland. And oh, Scotland, you know, they're dangerous and they can, if they turn up and they throw it around. But if, as people probably would have seen, you know, Ireland have won the last eight meetings between these two sides. So, they're heavy favourites for this one. They've named a pretty strong team. Um, Henderson starts in the second row. Dan Sheehan is back in. They're sticking with Gibson Park at scrum half. Um, some Robbie Henshaw not starting, and some questions as to whether he'll actually remain out in France. He may well have to come home, depending on the injury analysis that comes back. But yeah, you look. You'd have to. You'd have to fancy Ireland to win that game. I think the only thing that maybe you would worry about is if if there was any kind of. Um, you know, a casual attitude going into that game, but they just seem to be so professional and so switched on and it seems like a really happy camp. I I just don't see any room for, um, you know, coolness or, or, or overconfidence from Ireland in terms of going into that game. So I would expect them to win that game and and cruise through to the, not necessarily cruise through the game, but cruise through to the, to the quarterfinals with a 100% record. So 
I think Ireland to win. I think Scotland will will certainly put it up to them, and that's not the same patronising because I think Scotland are, are a really good side and they can play really good rugby when they get that back line moving. And Ben Healy, of course, who's in the mix as well, uh, the former Munster man at out half. So uh, if, if it's going to be a, a really interesting uh, battle between him and if, if he performs well uh, for Scotland, it could get them moving a little bit. But uh, he won't start, of course. It'll be Finn Russell, but he'll, uh, he may well come off the bench. So if, that, if he does, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on against players he will know very well. But you'd expect Ireland to win it and probably reasonably comfortably in the end. I'd say it'll be tight enough for maybe 50, 50, 55 minutes. But... Yeah, I think Ireland certainly to to win that game would be the would be the bet. Um, if you were putting a few quid in it, but it'll be tight enough for a, a period of time. But I think Scott, I think Ireland will come through that one. David goes with Ireland and the rugby. Now to finish today, there are so many finals on in Loud and Mead this weekend. We'd be here all evening, so we've just decided to focus on the Mead Senior Football Championship final, a repeat of last year's clash between Summerhill and Rathout, which Rathout won by a point, a very close encounter. Can Summerhill? Turn the tables, David. Yeah, well, this is one that's going to be really interesting. Um, obviously, it's our, our featured game on on Sunday Sport. And yeah, as you said there, Rathout won by a point last year. Um, they're going for four out of the last five to, to, you know, to win two in a row and four out of the last five on Sunday. Um, and you know what? I saw them against uh, Dunshockland, Rathout, in the quarterfinal. They got out of jail that day with an injury time goal. They were behind by two. Got a really late goal in that game, got out of it by a point, scraped through the semi-final as well. It wasn't a vintage performance against Wolf Tones, didn't score in the second half, won by a point that day as well. So they've been kind of on thin ice uh, throughout this campaign, Retote. They were beaten as well by St. Colm Kills in the group too, so they they didn't win their group either. So they haven't been at their kind of all-conquering best this season at all. And Summerhill haven't either. They they just about got past Dunham Ashburn in the semi-final. It was a tricky one for them. So neither side has been like pulling up too many trees on the way to this final. And it's it's really hard to call who's going to be the, you know, who's going to be coming out on top. We're told probably slight favourites by virtue of their recent history and the, the players that they have at their disposal. Summerhill, as many people will know, haven't won it since 2013, 10 years ago. They've lost four finals since then, including three in a row, 17, 18, 19. So if ever a team was due, uh, you would imagine it would be Summerhill. But I just have a nagging feeling that we're told they they've, come through a couple of tight games in the quarters and the semis and I have a feeling they'll just they'll get it right for the big day they, they have that experience Summerhill have those scars from losing those finals to be so many players who played in those games a few that haven't as well the likes of Owen Frayne coming through who'll be a big hope for them but I just have a feeling that Retote will do what my heart says Summerhill just purely because they've lost so many and they probably deserve to win one but I just have a feeling Retote's know-how and experience will will get them through it. But it's going to be a really tight game. I'm really looking forward to it. Sunday Sport, don't miss it with David Sheehan. David, until next week, thanks so much. Thanks, Jerry. For the final time this week, let's do this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... Yes, it's the number one from this very week in 1986. And when I tell you that this lady is still going strong, hit after hit flowed back in the 80s, 90s and beyond. Yes, I'm talking about Madonna and the song today is True Blue. I absolutely love this one. This was a smash hit right across the world and it came in at number three in the UK singles charts 
up to number one the following week, becoming Madonna's third number one single in the UK. Certified gold, a classic from Madge. Yes, True Blue on your late lunch this Friday. Madonna and True Blue, number one in our top five countdown from this week in 1986. And I'm working already on another top five countdown for you next week. And I promise you a cracking five songs around about this time each day on Late Lunch starting Monday. Final break of the day and the week on Late Lunch. And up next, it is the largest festival of faith in Ireland and it begins on Sunday. Tell them put the money in my hand. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and as is our want every year, we tell you about the St. Gerard's Novena that takes place annually at the Redemptorists in Dundalk and it begins on Sunday next and I'm delighted to say hello today to Father Brendan Callanan. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. Tell us about the theme, please, of the Novena this year. The, the overall theme of the Novena is a church in search of a vision for the future. So the, the church, like any organization, needs to see and discern how best to carry out its mission in a changing and challenging world. And coincidentally, today in Rome, Pope Francis is inaugurating the Synod, which is a gathering of representatives from all over the world to discuss that very topic. How is the Church to present itself to the world into the future? And my word, Father, I have to say, when you uh, listen to radio, turn on your television, go online or whatever, this world of ours in my lifetime, in my lifetime and I'm moving on now, it seems to be just a place in chaos. Yeah, but I think the important thing is, even though we have maybe the sense that there's chaos, we have our compass, let's say we come from the Christian tradition and we have the Word of God to guide us, but we have to keep discerning that Word of God, how it wants us to act at this time and what attitudes to take at this time. So, yeah, there's a lot of chaos in the world, but we have two our reference points to guide us through this chaos. And yes... The chaos that we live in at this time, people and the church and belief, they find that a challenge and many don't, you know, believe anymore. It certainly is a huge challenge, yeah. One of the challenges for the church is to show that it is relevant, that what it has to say has relevance for people's lives. I take your point that a number of people, a lot of people nowadays don't frequent church very frequently, but but nonetheless, they do like to touch base, and they do like to, to hear something that might guide them or help them or in some way guide them in the decisions that they have to take. I couldn't agree with you more, and especially in times of crisis, who's there for us? You see it so many times when things happen, awful things. It's the church that the media even go to for a response. That's right, that's right, yeah. And I think... That is partly due to the fact that, as a church, our reference point is the person of Jesus Christ and what he had to say and the attitudes which he lived and his practice and his teaching. And I think they have stood the test of time. And that is why we believe 
his teachings are still relevant and will remain relevant. And in terms of relevance, well, St. Gerard's Novena still attracts the huge crowd year in, year out. It'll be the same again this year. I take it you have guest preachers coming as well to join you oh, for the have, duration? We have, yeah. Uh, in all, we will have 11 speakers at the Novena, uh, five redemptors and then six other people preaching. Because over the nine days, there are 72 sessions, that is eight sessions each day. So that's a total of 72 uh, sessions of the Novena over the nine days. So that's quite a heavy load and to share that. Oh yeah, we certainly will have guest speakers coming, yeah. You always have a fantastic lineup. So, so many sessions on every day between the 8th and the 16th. Again, I remind you, it's starting on Sunday. Is it in the Redemptorist itself? Is it in St. Joseph's Church? It's all focused there, nowhere else? That's correct. It will be happening here in St. Joseph's Church, Dundalk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So and we begin on Sunday at 7 in the morning. Just say that again. Sunday morning just, just, is the just, first session. Yeah, just say that again. We begin. Go ahead. Yeah, the first session will be on Sunday at 7 o'clock. And then later on Sunday, we will have Novena at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., 12.30 p.m., then 4.30 p.m., 6 p.m., 7.30 p.m., and 9 p.m. And they are the times for Sunday. The the only change during the weekdays is that instead of 12.30, it will be at 1.10 p.m. But we have eight sessions each day. Eight sessions each day. So no excuse. Yeah. There's no reason to miss out. There are plenty of times there to accommodate everybody, no matter what your circumstances are in life. And with COVID in the past, even though it's not really, I suppose, but the pandemic and the lockdown, there are no restrictions on attendance this year. No, 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 no. Everybody is welcome. As you said, for eight sessions, gives everybody an opportunity to pick one that suits best. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, Well, look, Father Brendan, we wish you all well with the Novena. It's something we're always glad to highlight and support. And may the theme of the Novena, the Church in Search of a Vision for the Future, be teased out. Exactly. Thank you very much indeed. Thank Thank you. you. Take care, Father Brendan. Bye-bye. That's our lot on Late Lunch for today and this week. I want to say my thank yous as usual. Thanks to you, our listeners who join us every day. We love your company. To my guests who've joined me throughout the week. And to my producer, Louise Walsh. Couldn't do this without her. We're for Kilkenny tonight and the Imro Radio Awards with fingers crossed. Best of luck to everybody. See you Monday for a new week of Late Lunch from 1.30. Take care of yourselves. Have a lovely weekend. People dream high in the quiet of the night, you know.